Hello and welcome to the Future History of Newburgh. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. It makes me really happy to see people listening from nearly every continent. No listeners from Antarctica yet, but I'm sure the penguins have very full schedules. I like to imagine all of you listening to these stories in different global landscapes, all sharing a common interest. That's one of my happy thoughts. <laughs> I hope you all had fun attending the Ultimate Thumb War Championship in the last episode. In this episode, we're going to visit Earth. One of them, anyway. Please enjoy Season 3, Episode 5, Asylum. Are you family? asked a curious but welcoming female voice. Jeff smiled uneasily. This was the worst part about his job as a watcher. The lying to keep his cover. Uh, no. We're work colleagues, Jeff said, adjusting his tie. Then he adjusted his sunglasses. Even though they were inside, both Jeff and his partner Jim kept their sunglasses on most of the time to shield their eyes from the often piercing light of other people's auras. Over time, they had discerned what different colors and placements of the light signified. In this woman's case, the intense green light beaming from the heart area probably indicated she was a talented healer, maybe a counselor. She seemed to be in the right place, considering she was a nurse. I see, the nurse replied. Looking past the bright beam of green, Jeff could read the tag pinned to her white uniform. Her name was Gretchen. Gretchen was a broad woman with chin-length wisps of mousy hair and a strong nose. He doesn't get many visitors. Sometimes his wife comes, Gretchen said, giving them a sad smile. They're almost finished feeding him his lunch. It shouldn't be much longer. A disheveled man in a worn brown robe and slippers shuffled into the waiting area. Gretchen put a sturdy arm about his shoulders and turned him around. It looks like you've lost your way again, Mr. Gladstone. I'll help you find your room, she said as she guided him down the corridor. Though there were only two of them in the waiting room now, Jeff leaned close and whispered to Jim. This is the last place I expected to find the doctor. Jim grunted, indicating he shared Jeff's sentiments. Hmm. We left him in an upscale neighborhood with a wife and family, and now he's in an insane asylum? What went wrong? Jeff said, then leaned away again, taking in his surroundings. The Baudelaire Center for Mental Health was a rambling Victorian estate which had fallen into disrepair over the years. The plaque outside said it was donated by a Mrs. Anne-Marie Baudelaire, a member of long-forgotten Oakville Society. The main house was as imposing as it was intricate, but it was in need of a fresh coat of paint. Stringy weeds plumed through the overgrown shrubbery. The touch of late spring looked elegant elsewhere in the southern Ontario town, but here it looked as if it was trying to reclaim the place. Gretchen returned without Mr. Gladstone and said, Dr. Bentley is ready to see you now. I'll escort you to his room. Both Jeff and Jim pushed their sunglasses further up their noses as they stood. 
Nurse Gretchen's heart light was so bright, brighter than most people's lights, certainly brighter than either of their lights. Jeff hardly noticed the yellow glow surging behind Jim's sunglasses anymore. He had grown so accustomed to it. The three of them trod over creaky floorboards through a murky hallway. Jeff might have been convinced he was walking through a friend's family home had it not been for such out-of-place reminders such as glowing red fire exit signs and key card slots for medical supply closets. Despondent wails and moans seemed to be emanating from the walls themselves. They passed a doorway to a common room where a few patients could be seen playing a card game at a rickety table with a mixed deck of Uno and regular playing cards. Another patient was playing an out-of-tune piano. Well, not so much playing as hammering an individual note over and over again. Without warning, a woman with a murderous expression burst out of the doorway. She barreled into Nurse Gretchen, pinning her against the wall with her hand wrapped around her throat. Jeff and Jim recovered from their momentary shock and moved to help Gretchen, but the nurse managed to squeak out, No, no, no. She held them back with a raised palm, but maintained eye contact with her crazed attacker. Any more force will only escalate your mood. Won't it, Jessie? The patient didn't back off, but her grip did slacken. Nurse Gretchen continued to speak to her in as soothing a voice as she could manage. It's okay, Jessie. You're safe here. You're safe. Jessie let out a whimper, <clears throat> releasing the nurse and throwing herself back against the opposite wall. A male nurse rushed in, taking Jessie by the hand and apologizing to Gretchen and the two gentlemen. I'm sorry, Miss Toyovic vomited. I turned my back for one second and this one's taken off. That's it, Jessie. Come with me now. That's it, lovely. The man patted her hand as he led the distraught woman away. Gretchen took a deep inhale before continuing down the hallway. Jeff and Jim exchanged a look with raised eyebrows. I have to say... That was quite impressive, the way you were able to defuse that situation, especially when you were at risk, Jeff said, following Gretchen as she turned left down another hallway. Gretchen gave a short laugh. <laughs> I've worked with people far more unstable than this. Our patient's unpredictability is somewhat predictable. Once you know their quirks, you can meet them where they are. I find it's the same people who surprise me. Did you work in another mental facility? Jeff asked. Gretchen chuckled. I used to be a preacher. Jim grunted thoughtfully. Hmm. I've known some religious people who have certainly been caught up in their fervor, but they've never struck me as unstable, Jeff remarked. Perhaps I'm still speaking from a bitter place, the nurse said, scanning her keycard at an out-of-place, industrial-looking door. There was a click and the door opened into another dark hallway. I used to preach for a church who thought I was too liturgical, so I moved to a different church. There, they thought I was too cavalier. No matter where I went, I found that people wanted answers I wasn't able to give them. People wanted certainty, and all I could give them was the truth. Gretchen frowned a little. I made mistakes in my own fervor. No church would hire me after that. So I moved on from preaching altogether. But I still feel I can serve people in love here. 
The sick don't really care about your personal failings. They accept help regardless. They came to a halt in front of an open door marked with the number 42. Another nurse exited the door carrying a tray of half-eaten food, a grainy-looking apple, some lumpy oatmeal, and a paper cup half full of water. Nurse Gretchen whispered low to them after the other nurse passed. This is one of those people who seems absolutely sane. He's a good man, just don't get too comfortable. And don't get too close. Push the buzzer on the wall if you need assistance. Then they followed her into the room. Warm sunlight beamed through one rectangular window. It spilled across a simple metal desk and onto a bare wood floor. A small dresser with a few drawers stood against the opposite wall next to a metal-framed twin-sized bed. A thin, dark-skinned man in a green sweater vest and slacks sat upon the crisply made bed linens. Dr. Bentley, you have some visitors. Jeff and Jim are here from Newburgh Industries, Nurse Gretchen announced. Dr. Bentley peered at his guests over the top of thin spectacles that rested precariously at the end of his nose. His face was drawn with care, but he pushed his glasses further up the bridge of his nose with a knobby finger. Upon recognition of the men, he emitted a sigh of relief, and a genuine smile lit his features. Nurse Gretchen gave them an encouraging nod before she closed the door behind them. Ah, the watchers, Dr. Bentley said in a croaky voice. I wasn't sure when or if I'd see you again. He rose to greet them, gripping their hands between his cold, wrinkled palms. Things have certainly changed for you, Dr. Bentley, Jeff said. Jim gave an mm-hmm as he looked around the room. We don't often reintegrate people back into their original realities, so I admit we're unpracticed. But the reintegration seemed like it was going well. What happened? Jeff asked pushing his own glasses closer to his eyes to better protect against the orange light shining like a bright halo around the doctor's head. Dr. Bentley sighed again, this time without a smile, and sat back down on the bed. He gestured for the watchers to take a seat. Jeff pulled a chair from the desk, while Jim leaned slash sat on the corner of Dr. Bentley's desk. Everything was perfect for a while. I was reunited with my one and only girl. You'll remember I left her behind when I went to Newburgh to study remedies for nerve agent attacks. Of course, we remember Maria, Jeff said with a pleasant smile. Jim nodded. Maria had never married either, Dr. Bentley said, looking wistful. It was as if she had been waiting for me to come back. And thanks to the retinal uploads you provided, we were able to see what our lives would have been like if I had never left, and we had been married all these years. She had memories implanted of our wedding, our first house, struggling together on an intern's salary, cozying up together in front of warm fires on cold nights. And again, thanks to the uploads, she got to remember how our adopted children grew up. She had memories of me teaching them how to fish, of camping trips we took in the summers to the lake, their graduation ceremonies, 
watching them grow into responsible adults. These feelings of love were inspired in me too when I viewed the files. I loved my wife. I loved my family. But I also knew the truth, that I had never been married, and that my adopted children were really plucked from suicide watch at a homeless shelter. Jeff recalled the first time he had met Dr. Bentley's so-called children before they had been given new memories of an intact family, a stable home life, and provided doctor documents of diplomas. Before they were given a leg up, it was a difficult memory. We all thought we were doing a good thing. More love is never bad. And that's what I thought was going to happen when I reintegrated to Earth. I thought I was rekindling love and giving hopeless people a little hope. And in between, I got to see what my life would have been like had I never left. Dr. Bentley shook his gray head with appreciation. I marveled at how well you disseminated my research throughout the world, creating a false paper trail of studies I had once done, and labs I had worked in. If I had never left, the chance of this research coming to fruition was nil. I was a nobody, with hardly a degree and no chance of funding. Thanks to Newberg, now we can heal people in war zones affected by nerve gases. I got to see years of work pay off. And I had a family I love. But I knew this life was a lie. And that lie began to seep into everything like a cancer. First from our adopted son and daughter, who appeared to be happy, but every now and then they seemed confused by their own happiness and feelings of love. Maria and I had never really stopped loving each other, but we had grown apart in many areas, and this became a stumbling block to any real kind of intimacy. You see, to heal damaged nerves, I put chemicals in the brain to manufacture new pathways around dead parts, erasing pain, enabling function. But the chemicals aren't natural, and the dead areas are still there. People affected by nerve gas know why they've been healed. They know what life was like before their injuries and can act with caution and understand the reason for whatever feelings of gratitude they have. My adopted children can't. The love flowing through their system is just an inorganic chemical maintained by false memories. My wife's love is real, but it's for the man I used to be a long time ago. Her love for who I am now is manufactured, Dr. Bentley explained, a pained expression on his lined face. Our family began to unravel. Fights among the children started over the smallest incidents. Maria and I began to quarrel. And then the whole family began to find fault with one another. Until I told them the truth. I told them all, he said with a sad grin. Then they brought me here, 
I think the only people who benefited from my return to this earth are those who had been affected by nerve agents. That should be enough for me. And yet... He opened his hands and let them drop back down onto his lap. Jeff wasn't sure how to respond. It was a sad story of a beautiful family full of promise, but now crumbling apart. We certainly regret this has happened to you. We can, of course, alter your family's memories and reattribute your research to someone else. I'm not sure that we can, in good conscience, bring you back to Newburgh. Oh? Why is that? Dr. Bentley asked, withdrawing from his own problems and concern for his former home. Jeff tapped and turned his comm ring and found the article that Chief Pearson had ordered Amelia Levin to publish. After finding the remains of the beneficial insects in the underground lab, he knew it was time for everyone in Newburgh to be on the same page and to be vigilant. Jeff flipped the projected article in the direction of Dr. Bentley. The man squared his spectacles again and read the headline. Newburgh's Bombshell. Bodies found in Granite Hills Lab. Granite Hills? Dr. Bentley uttered. A bomb threat in Newburgh? The police found this evidence in your old lab, Doctor. Do you have any ideas about who would be using your lab? Do you know anyone who was interested in your old home for any reason? Jeff asked. Dr. Bentley leaned forward and scrolled through the article on the projected screen as he said, My lab wasn't a secret. Many people were interested in my work. It could be anyone. I designed the lab to be airtight. So whatever mistakes I made with my chemical interactions wouldn't affect the outside world. Thick cement walls deep underground... It would be an ideal place to test a bomb unnoticed. He leaned back again. I'm sorry I'm unable to give you any helpful information. The perpetrators do appear to hide their tracks well. The authorities have few leads, Jeff said regretfully. This is awful. I hope these people are apprehended before something tragic happens. I've seen the aftermath of war. My remedies help cure the effects of nerve gases, but they cannot erase the trauma caused by violence and widespread terror. That damage can unfortunately be permanent, Dr. Bentley said, a haunted look behind his eyes. Jeff looked to Jim. His light had dimmed during Dr. Bentley's ominous portent. I may not have ended up where I wanted, Dr. Bentley sighed. But it seems I left Newburgh just in time. That concludes Episode 5, Asylum. I hope it was enjoyable. If you liked it, you know what to do. Leave a review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, donations are always accepted at my coffee website, linked in the show notes. You can also support the show by purchasing my books. I wrote a trilogy about twins and time travel and alternate realities and a poisonous evil metal and all kinds of interesting things. And, or, you can purchase some Newburgh swag at my Teespring shop, 
also linked in the show notes. There are mugs and hoodies. I said before that there were socks, and my most avid fan was immediately interested. My mom definitely wanted some Newberg socks, but I remembered that was my old merch line. (laughs) I had to switch swag providers, and this time there are no socks. But I will look into it if I get enough people wanting socks. Email me if you want socks. Info at rdonhutchinson.com The Future History of Newberg was written, narrated, and produced by R. Don Hutchinson. Thank you so much for listening and for helping the story unfold. And provided Dr. Dick. And provided Dr. Duck. And provided doctored documents of diplomas.